morning, guys. How you doing? Yeah, let me tell you about this morning here a little bit. So, uh, probably saw Mark on his phone in the opening set, right? Um, Rachel Selbo is our bass player, and uh, she was here for opening warm-up, and she had to leave, and the roads are slick, right? So, she found herself in a ditch, and 25 seconds before the service, Mark comes up and goes, you're not going to believe this. So, uh, thank you, Ben, for covering, but what I want to do is pray for Rachel. I mean, she's okay, as far as we know, but still, scary stuff and tough stuff, right? Especially when you're coming out to just give you time on a Sunday morning. Let's play for Rachel really quick. Lord God in heaven. Um, ah, geez, just surround her right now. She's got to be shaken, maybe afraid, or just going, I can't believe this. But you know, Lord, we, we, we thank you that she is okay. But we pray now that, well, honestly, her car is okay too. We pray, God, that she gets the help she needs right now. Um, and just still her soul and still her mind and let your presence be there with her on the side of the road as we speak right now through the tow truck and everything else. God, help her, surround her and let the love for this community and, and, and most of all from your throne just emanate out towards her today. So, uh, so God, we love you. God, we pray. Amen. So yeah, um, Maybe she'll be here for the closing set. Maybe she'll be here for 10.30. I uh, would certainly understand if she's not. But uh, Mark, thanks for jumping in last second on that. And uh, Ben, for uh, what you did as well. Guys, we are looking at something that I, I think is so important and so foundational this September. It's, it's how Jesus tells us to approach a relationship with God. And, and really, there's nothing more important in this world than a relationship with God of all the things we value and bring us meaning and hope and life and joy. I mean, a relationship with God is what's woven into the fiber of our being, and it's what's woven into the fiber of the universe. There is nothing, in my opinion, more important than that. And Jesus has some pretty amazing things to say about what a relationship with God looks like, but also how to approach it. Now, it's important off the bat to say that Jesus makes some pretty strange comments about how a relationship with God is intimately linked to a relationship with himself. And I'm just going to show you a sampling of this from his own words, not exhaustive by any means, but just to help you kind of get a taste this morning. Check this out. Luke records him as saying this, all things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It's pretty outlandish if you think about it, that no one can know God. He's saying, no one can really know who God is except the Son and who Jesus, the Son, chooses to reveal him. That's kind of drawing a line in the sand, would you agree? It's not the only time. I mean, no one comes to the Father except through me. You think you're approaching God, you want to approach God, you hunger for God, you can't get there except through me. If you really knew me, he says, you would know my father as well because the father and I, it's kind of like this or maybe better put, like this. And you can't see the father without looking through 
the Son. How about this? He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You might think you love God. You might think you're devoted to God. You might have a history with God. But I tell you this, you reject the Son. Jesus says you reject me. Despite what you think you're doing, you are not honoring the Father. It seems that for Jesus, what he's saying is that to have a relationship with him is to have a relationship with God. And that if you don't have a relationship with him, you can't have a relationship with God. It begs a question, though. How do you then, assuming you believe Jesus' words are true, how do you then have a relationship with someone you never met? Now, I know some of you are flashing back immediately, well, I've met Jesus in my heart. Good for you, but have you met him face to face? How do you have a relationship with someone you've never met? How do you have a relationship with someone who hasn't walked this earth for 2,000 years? And I see this, this, this happen. I think that for many of us, despite the fact that we know differently, we kind of think and act like Jesus is dead. And so we kind of treat a relationship with Jesus like we would treat a relationship with like great-great-grandpa. It's like a legacy that we're keeping alive. It's like teachings that we're trying to preserve and, and, and learn from. It's, it's a family name that we, we carry on. But I think at some level, some of us, in the way that we approach this, it's almost like we act like he's dead. But what's central to the Christian faith is that Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He just isn't here. And so I think it's better to approach this and to think about it not so much as having a relationship with your great-great-grandpa who you never met, but instead, how do you have a relationship with someone close to you who's overseas? How do you have a relationship with your spouse, let's say, who because of work or military or whatever it is, isn't here right now, but is a couple oceans away. How do you have a relationship with someone when you're not physically in their presence because right now they're somewhere else? Well, let's think about it. Let's talk about it. I don't know. I'm sure you can come up with dozens of ways, and I know many of you have had to live it. Many of you have experienced it firsthand. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. But as I think about it, well... How do you have a relationship with someone who's far away? Well, Tina and I, my wife, we had a long-distance relationship for two and a half years right before we were married. Man, did that suck. Hardcore. And a lot of you who have been there know what I mean. And I remember there was like this fear that I had. What if we drift apart? What if we begin two separate lives in two separate places that through time and weathering 
result in two different people who have gone two separate ways. You know what I mean? Those of you who have been there, well, how do you keep a relationship alive when the person isn't there? Well, I learned this. You patiently wait. And with that comes a sense of anticipation, yearning, ache, a sense of how am I going to make this? I cannot wait for the day to see you. Again, I think many of us, out of a certain sense of survival or defense mechanism, hate that feeling and want to jettison, but I found that feeling to be vital. It kept me riveted and focused and alive. I don't want to stop aching for the one that I long for. And I think it comes with learning a certain and practicing a certain sense of patient waiting as we ache for the day that he returns. And I think with that comes a sense of staying faithful to our vows. Remaining faithful. Keeping ourselves in such a way, not letting our, our hearts get allured by someone else, not breaking the covenant that we've had with that person while they're away. It involves communicating, texting, and Skyping, and calling, and emails, or even just pouring over the letters that they send and reading them again and again. It means sleeping on their side of the bed, smelling them in the pillow, wearing their favorite flannel, looking at the pictures of them, going through the videos, and immersing yourself, doesn't it? And who that person is, because even though it's a cheap substitute, that substitute is better than nothing while you wait and yearn for the real thing while you wait and yearn for their return. You know what I mean, right? It's learning to practice what is known as fidelity. It's about loyalty, isn't it, in that time? Faithfulness. Or what the Bible will simply call faith. There's this strange idea that I found has taken modern-day Christianity by, by storm that, that, that's been so wildly adopted, people don't even realize it's false anymore. That, that faith means mental assent. That when, when the Bible talks about the importance of faith, when Jesus talks about the important of, importance of faith, it gets distorted in translation somehow in their minds to think that what Jesus means is, I just want you to believe that I'm true. You hear this come out of people's pores sometimes when they kind of have this this yearning with people who might not think it's true where they're like, you just have to believe. Which is kind of their way of saying, you just need to think and accept the fact that, well, he's real. And the stuff is true. And I suppose at some point, I mean, Loyalty implies reality. I mean, it's kind of hard to pledge yourself and be loyal to someone if you don't actually think they're real. 
But it's so much more than that. And I see this manifest in parents with their kids, where it's like, I just want my kids in this, this secular day and age where there's so many ideas out there just to think that God is real and God is true. And they have this kind of yearning going, I just wish and hope that they think it's true. But faith is about so much more than just thinking something is true. This is why like, I found that like, confirmation programs for kids never really worked in church because you got these parents who are in this like, mild-grade anxiety, wanting to see their kids know all the right things. And their kids are forced into this, this arduous program, and half of them are coming and going, I know this already. To which I just simply answer, yeah, you might know it, but where's your loyalty? Where is your faith? I love how Jesus' brother puts this. He writes in the New Testament, you believe that there's one true God, good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. Because for Jesus, faith is not just about thinking that something is true. It's more akin to fidelity, loyalty, commitment. A way that I kind of like to think about it is this. Faith is allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag. What am I saying there? I believe that the flag is real, that that fabric exists, and what it represents is in fact actually something that exists in reality. That's foolish, isn't it? No, I pledge allegiance to the flag. I swear my loyalty to it and what it stands for. What do we say in the creeds? I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, even the demons believe in Jesus Christ and God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But what if it translates into your mind to, I pledge allegiance to God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only son. And if you make that shift, you start coming closer to what Jesus and his apostles mean when they talk about this thing called faith. It's why, 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 why Paul will write things like this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he has been raised from the dead, you will be saved. It's not to mimic some magic phrase, some words. It's to make an, a, an oath of loyalty, commitment. It is to pledge your allegiance. Jesus is Lord. Not a reality statement, but a statement of my position in relationship to you. Faith, the faith that Jesus talks about, which he says is so central, so integral to what a relationship with God is all about, is in fact allegiance, loyalty, Fidelity, commitment, it's semper fi. Semper fi, the Marines will cry out, right? Always what? Always faithful? Always loyal? It's from the word fidelity, where we get our word faith. Are they saying, yeah, the Marine oath is that I always believe that the Marines are real? Well, that's inspirational. No, I pledge myself. 
This is what Jesus calls for when he, he talks about faith. Semper Fi, always faithful, loyal, allegiant, pledging it. Pledging it, Lord Jesus, to you. I shared with you a verse last week that, that comes out of these early biographies of Jesus, arguably even the earliest of them. And this, this phrase that I'm going to show you that stands as a summary, is, as, is kind of like the focal point through which this entire biography in Jesus' teaching and ministry and mission should be understood. Jesus says this, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent. And let's talk about that next word now. And believe, the good news, belief, faith, trust. They're, they're used interchangeably. It's the same word, the same thing. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and assent to the fact that Jesus is actually standing there? No. Repent and pledge your allegiance, your heart, your body, and your soul to the kingdom of God that he brings. I shared with you last week how that for Jesus, the kingdom of God is everything. That for the gospels, the kingdom of God is for everything. That for the New Testament, the kingdom of God is for everything. That if you want to understand the Bible, come to understand what the kingdom of God means and you have what the story is from Genesis to Revelation as a whole. I shared with you last week that the kingdom of God is what Jesus brings and that the message of the gospel is that in Jesus, the kingdom of God is upon us. That in him, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God being God's rule, God's way. When things are happening according to the way God wants them to be. I shared with you, it's what Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, right? Which is basically meaning, thy will be done. One in the same on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is when what happens in heaven comes to earth. What God enjoys and and enforces in heaven becomes the reality for life. With the outpouring of his goodness and grace and mercy and power and glory and honor. Here, this is what Jesus King comes to bring. And And he comes and he says this. What side are you on? when the kingdom of God is upon you. We talked about repentance last week. And we talked about how what it fundamentally means is not so much feeling sorry about something or or admitting something, though that's important, and a peace, but more fundamentally about reorienting your life towards Jesus. It's about changing direction, turning from where you're going to him. I want to share with you another way of thinking about repentance and faith in the kingdom of God, and I want you to imagine it as a coup. That the power of this dark world holds a grip upon us. And we suffer under its hand, under its thumb, 
under its tyranny. But a stronger one has come. The son of man, the son, that the stronger one has come to invade the forces and territory of this world, bringing with it his rule, his reign, God's way. And the call is basically Jesus saying, where do you find yourself? And if you're on the wrong side, will you turn and pledge your loyalty to the one who has come? I think of French resistance in World War II. After six weeks, Nazi forces sweeping over Western Europe and taking control of this country, this country that was victorious over them just 20 years before. And the banners flying and the swastikas going up. But those faithful men and women, even if they were forced underground, staying loyal to their country and cause, no matter what dark force had their grip upon them. From Jesus' perspective, we live in a world under the authority and tyranny of dark power. But Jesus says, I have good news. The king is here. The king has come. Which side will you find yourself on? And if it is the wrong one, Will you turn? Will you turn? And to whom will you pledge your fidelity? This is what faith means in the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus says is essential. How to have a relationship with God. Turning to him and pledging your loyalty. You just gotta love the balloons going off back there, don't you? <laughs> You're thinking it, I see it. <laughs> That's okay. So, I don't want this to be missed today. A phrase I pointed out last week as well. The time has come. The time comes any time one force stands up to another, one nation invades another, conflict occurs at an interpersonal or geopolitical level. The time finally comes to ask yourself, what side are you on? And to whom will you pledge your loyalty? 
This is what Jesus is saying to us, to me and to you. There's something so much more than a theoretical idea going on according to him. There's something urgent and impending that will carry with it consequences when the day arrives. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. What are you going to do? And you can come back up. Rachel, welcome back. <laughs> Sorry to embarrass you, but that's what we do. We're glad you're okay. Welcome back. Anyone who wants to take up the Rachel Selbo Fix the Car Fund after the service, come and see me and uh, throw in a buck or two if you want, and let's see if we can pay her towing bill here, you know? Good to have you. Guys, I want to invite you to rise. Neil, what are we doing here? Apostles' Creed next? Let's do it, man. All right. Flashing on the screen. Here it is, that, that ancient creed that I believe statement that Christians have been saying since the second century, at least, right? How many times do we look at this and it's just kind of like, okay, I'm like refreshing my notes. What are the main points of the Christian faith? What are the the central teachings? Yeah, it could serve that purpose. So much more than that. It's a statement of allegiance, of faithfulness, of loyalty. I want to invite you to approach it that way today. Maybe we even say, I pledge allegiance to God, the Father Almighty. Maybe more often we should do it that way. Maybe you're here today. And fidelity has grown thin for you. Loyalty has waned. I want to encourage you to make today that day of recommitment. Maybe you're here today and that loyalty to him in his name is humming out of you. I want to encourage you to lead the way. Make it known loud and strong here today and use it as a way to galvanize your loyalty to him. Maybe you're here today. You're not sure. You're afraid. I want you to know that Jesus' invitation from the person of ultimate strength comes from a gentle and humble heart that is willing to meet you right where you're at and show you the way I encourage you. Dare to risk taking a leap on him today. And maybe you're here and you're just not there. You don't believe it. Do you want to say welcome to Fellowship of Faith? We're so glad you're here. 
And the last thing we want to do out of you is make you a liar. No one will point you out. Don't feel the need to say things you don't mean. But in these next few moments, if you would, please afford those of us who who believe this dearly and have pledged our loyalty to him the space to make known what is so central to us today. So let's pledge allegiance to the one who's come. I pledge allegiance to God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And because we confess that, we can confess our unloyalty, our disloyalty, our betrayals to God. Because unlike a tyrant, he is one who loves his people. Even the traitors in the midst and sacrifices himself for them and offers his forgiveness to them. These next few moments, just in your own personal, private way, I want to invite you to confess and admit and let him know about your, your disloyalties and ways that you've broken your vows. To bring it to him today.